Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Kevin E. West, and he's a veteran television actor with 60-plus credits. The Righteous Genstones, Hawaii Five-0, Criminal Minds, Bones, Castle, Justified, Lost, 24, NCIS, CSI, and a dozen more. Now, he's also a three-time author, and I've read his books, and they're very good, and a national speaker since 1991, including a date with Hollywood panel in uh, Stockholm. He is founder of the Actors Network and an expert on the business of show business. The Actors Network includes some amazing people like Massey Oka of, of Heroes, Chelsea Crisp, uh, Crisp of off the Boat, Chris Gorham of Ugly Betty, and Maggie Grace of Taken. For more than three decades, Kevin West has been a professional storyteller and a veteran television actor, entrepreneur, CEO, and a consultant. Healing from the rural south, he lived and worked for so long in Hollywood that Kevin is often affectionately known and metaphorically called the Hollywood redneck. Kevin is a badass, and he transcends the generational gap, providing forward-thinking initiatives. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much. I'm tired after that. I feel actually older now. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when you look at all your accomplishments and all the things you've done and all the things you're going to do, and you just count them off and say, oh, my God, I did all that? It's been a, it's been a minute. It's been a it's been a journey since. Uh, but I bet you you blink at it and you say that went very quickly. I, I mean, it just went so fast. How could this have happened over all those years? Very true. There's a line. Uh, there's a line in the movie with with Anthony Hopkins called "Meet uh, the Movies Meet Joe Black," and um, he's death is coming to take him. That's essentially what the movie is about. And he has it's, it's going to happen on his 65th birthday. And his line in the speech is 65 years. Don't they go by in a blink? Yeah, they're they true. Why in a blink? And that, that's amazing. And, you know, I'm at my 65th year now. So I, I wonder now how many more years do I have left? And there's probably many, but you just don't know. I've had many dear friends that have suddenly just whiffed it in a minute. And and all of a sudden they're no longer with us. Yeah, it's um I I, I I'm not morbid about it and I'm not um depressed about it. But it is something when I when I reached specifically when I turned 55 rather than 50, I, I specifically went, okay, 27 and a half, 27 and a half, 27 and a half. And I said this officially in a, you know, healthy, balanced, positive way is the last third chapter of your life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about 
how you got there. And one of the things you've had to climb through was a mountain of adversity. How did you do that? Because I think people are right now going through adversity and it would help them to, to frame things better. Well, we're going through a, a massive amount of adversity. And I think some of the more difficult part of the adversity, no different than the recent tornadoes that we've seen that have hit um, the area where I'm from, uh, which we didn't used to have, is the fact that some of that adversity is not directly individual sometimes. we A situation with a virus brings us to the place of it's it's un, sort of unknown, it's unseen. And so we have this adversity that we don't know what's around the next corner, almost like the boogeyman. And I think psychologically that is that can be weighing on people in such a way versus the adversity that I had, which is just right in front of my face. Uh, you know, we, we didn't really have any money. I didn't have a father. Um, but I, I, there was some element of somehow with interest and goals that I had as a kid, just wanting to be a professional ball player from the time I was seven years old. Honestly, Dr. Like, I think that's a lot of what pushed me through was, I just had a way of wanting to always get better. And I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but what I was doing over the course of my youth, literally my youth and then my teens, was I was becoming a natural internal problem solver. And while I certainly seek out help, I wasn't very good at it. I'd do it once in a while uh, from third parties or outside friends, et cetera. Um, I will always, I learned by the time I was 21 years old, um, do the best you can to be a problem solver for yourself. And I think that's how I push through. Yeah, I think that's an important skill set that people have is becoming a problem solver because there's always problems in front of us, no matter what. I, I mean, it could be you and I are facing a great day ahead of us, but there's going to be a gazillion problems uh, that we have to solve. But at the same time, if we don't have that skill set and, and you get anxious or you get angry or depressed because of those problems, that's half the battle. It is half the battle. And, and the other side of that is, I am someone who will say I will agree with the fact that that money does solve a lot of problems. There's a you know, but of course, then we can go down the road of like fixing cars and plumbing and stuff like that. But ironically, it's part of what I'm discussing about where we're living in these times. Money doesn't solve those problems. And actually, sometimes to me, it compounds them because if you're if you're financially well healed, it sometimes promotes the ability to hide from what is bothering you psychologically, which is ironically pushing you further away from a solution as opposed to getting closer to it. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think people really need to realize that the problem skill set now you have to develop and you have to keep developing. It's not a, a, a today thing. It's an ongoing thing that you have to keep on working at. Oh, 100%. And, and one of the challenges that I've witnessed, we both witnessed it, Dr. Leica, because we're not young, uh, is that in the last two decades since digital technology, which was always coming, we knew that in the 90s, but one of the ways you learn those skill sets is by human engagement. You don't learn those skill sets. Uh, and again, I respectfully understand 
the idea of homeschooling. I was bullied every day in high school, so I can appreciate that. But you don't learn skill sets from everything being comfortable. You learn skill sets from having to engage with people in regular discourse, diversified discourse, and also learning how to handle discord. So, you know, for as much as it's an internal thing to become a problem solver, sometimes you actually learn how to solve those problems by navigating through just the simple challenges of engaging with other people. And we've moved away from, I think, both the necessity of that because of digital technology, but we've moved away from it also because uh, people are specifically and purposefully, since purpose is, is one of the items in your book, uh, they're purposefully moving away and avoiding it. And over the course of two decades, this is not helping our society get better at, at handling uh, difficult problems. And I have a I have a stepson who's about to turn 22, and it's one of the biggest things that I push on him and have for a long time is, man, you got to learn how to talk to people and you have to learn how to work your way through what you don't like, work your way through telling them how to express yourself, what you don't like. So life is always going to hand you something that's difficult. I don't care who you are. Yeah, that, that's important to realize. Let's go back a little bit in your success. How have you maintained your success over three decades? I mean, Hollywood is a very evil place at times, and yet you've been able to maintain showings on, on 60-plus shows and kept on going with that. How have you been able to do that? Uh, funny enough, I, the Righteous Gemstones actually is, is, is the 70th. Uh, I just hit the 7-0 mark. Uh, fortunately, I'm not that old yet. But um, I would probably share with you, again, I, I think it comes from, I was small in stature, Dr. Like I actually grew three and a half inches out of high school. So I was a very uh, diminutive person, let's just say, with the same... Uh, challenging loud mouth to be kind of a smart ass. And so I, I learned very early on my, my baseball coaches called me Charlie hustle, which was the nickname for Pete Rose in baseball. And so I sort of had not only that stigma about me, but clearly I had the way about me in that I was kind of glaringly an underdog, but I, I wasn't going to back down uh, in terms of a Tom Petty song. And so I think the the willing the willingness to be unwilling to back down is probably how I made it through because you are correct. Hollywood presented almost every cliche and every scenario you can come up with that Hollywood presents to you and and I certainly was not perfect. I I made some mistakes, I made some poor decisions. Uh they were very very uh denigrating for myself and my career. Uh, but I fought through them. I just got up and said, well, that's on me. Let's go. And uh, and I guess in terms of, again, a, a built self-belief that I can overcome this, which ironically is why the title of my book that I wrote for actors is Seven Deadly Sins, The Actor Overcomes. And I, I, I've overcome a lot. And most of it has just been because I was dedicated to learning what I did wrong and not doing it again. <laughs> well, that's huge. So let's go into one failure you've had so people can learn from it. Give me an example of something you failed and then ultimately maybe had success from, or maybe something you've learned from. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick one 
uh, for you, but I will say that it's a transcendent one. And the ironic part is, again, this is one of the early uh, first two chapters of my book because we make decisions every day, all day long. Some of them are simple. Some of them are life-changing. And one of the worst decisions that I ever made was when I first came to Los Angeles and found myself engaged in this small cluster of people. In high school, we might call it a clique, right? People you hang out with and you wind up consorting with and spending a little time with. And based on this person's position, my gut was screaming at me to not get too involved. Don't get too close. Don't become too familiar. Find a way to keep professional distance. I mean, screaming. I knew it. It was there. It was in my subconscious. It was in my foreground. It was in my soul. And I didn't listen. And it was almost the reason I almost walked away from Hollywood three years into being here because of making the wrong decision as it pertained to one particular individual in that group and the (laughs) the transcendent explosion that occurred out from that person amongst all of their their professional friends, which affected me. And I hadn't even gotten my career started yet, hardly. And so that was uh, that was a very, very debilitating situation because I did not listen to my gut. So, so that that I think is an important thing. And I think it's it's something that people have to listen to. How can people learn to listen from their gut? I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to do. There's all these things around us that are pushing us in other directions. There's only one way. If you're if you are unwilling, and again, we uh, I respectfully understand that there it's not our nature to want to do this. I get it, but you have to do it. And what you have to do is you have to be willing to say, "That's on me." You have to look yourself in the mirror and say, "That's my fault." We can complain about other people all the time. And I'm, I'm a very gentle, nice guy, Pisces, of course, and until you're a jerk. And then maybe that Southern guy comes out a little bit who grew up the way he did. But you have to be willing to say, what percentage of this is truly my fault? How much did I promulgate this? How much did I promote this? How much did I engage with this? Whatever it may be. You have to start. The only way you can learn lessons from life is by starting with what about this difficulty is on me. Now, there are some situations in life, we know, Dr. Leica, that it is somebody else. But to that point, if something is mostly someone else, then guess what you also have to be willing to do? You have to be willing to decide, am I going to give them a second chance? How am I going to talk through it with them? And at what point am I going to walk away from them? Because that's another thing that we don't do that makes our lives more difficult is we don't walk away and remove human beings from our lives who've shown themselves to not be worthy of being in our lives. And I don't just mean intimate relationships or or old school friends. Man, sometimes you just got to move on. So so I think those two elements are extraordinarily important. You eventually have to be willing to assess, attack and move on if necessary. And you have to certainly be willing to, to look in the mirror and go, yep, my bad. Yeah, that, that's huge. And I think that's an important thing. Kevin, you and I did a fundraiser together to help the food banks of the world. Uh, how does giving comprise a part of your life and your philosophy? 
I, whatever form of philanthropy you can do, because we think of, you know, people who are philanthropists or philanthropic institutions, foundations, events, and those types of things as, well, that's somebody else's to do. Now, I've, I've done a great deal of it in my life without being somebody who is, you know, fi- financially wealthy or, any, or, or rich. Uh, I think those two words for two words for me are imperative in life. And one is giving the others traveling because they both offer a certain degree of perspective. And, you know, as we started out this this conversation today, we were talking about our age and how long do we have left? And last I checked, uh, Dr. Like uh, father time's undefeated still. I, I don't think I don't think any of us are making it out of here alive. So. If if Dr. Like we are staring at, at the face of mortality, then I do think that we have to recognize inherently in that that we're all human. And I think that that giving back, however you do it, if you do it sincerely and not out of obligation, is one of the most human things you can do. And traveling reminds you you're not the only human on the planet. Um, and so I'm a big advocate of both of those because I, I, I hope that it does a certain degree of grounding for people that maybe they can carry with them in other parts of their life. Yeah, and I think that's important, too. And, you know, I also know that you are a very person that's very grateful for the things that you've had in your life because, you, you know, you, you're just a, that sort of person that loves to be grateful for it. Is that part of your philosophy as well? It took me a long time. It is now. But I will tell you that I, I don't even know that I I don't even know that I thought through my 20s and 30s. I don't know that I thought that I that I wasn't someone who was grateful. I think it was almost more of a neutral for me. Uh, it wasn't something that I pondered a great deal. And I, I certainly probably should have because out, outside of, of other factors, I, I have been very lucky aside from, you know, where I was born. Um, how I appear and maybe mostly in that I was clearly born relatively healthy. I didn't sort of get the, the physical lemon that does happen to people sometimes that are, have unfortunate, uh, physical problems early in life. But it took me, unfortunately, and this tends to happen, uh, losing one of my best friends early in life. And he died of melanoma. It's one of the reasons why I, I started the charity golf tournament I did for 10 years, which was my, entree into philanthropy in my life, which has continued. But I remember carrying his casket and being so incredibly sad that he was gone and yet rising from that within a week and realizing, man, look at your life, man. Look at what you've done. Look at where you've been. Look where you came from. Look what you know. And for the love of God, be grateful. And that's when it started for me, cognitively to your question. Yeah, that's important. And it's life events that sometimes have to turn on that light bulb for us. Without those light bulbs, we wouldn't be where we are. Absolutely. Uh, Gavin, if you met a younger version of yourself, what would you tell him? Probably two main things. I, I would probably, and it, one of them, I'm going to use a different word. It's not quite grateful because it was such an evolution. But one of the things that I would 
say to him is appreciate appreciate the man you're becoming. Uh, I don't I don't think that I spent enough time when I was younger because again m- most of it was through my own efforts. Uh, I grew up without a father. My mother was um, not around a great deal. So I I would have told him. Listen, based on the way you are, what appears to be naturally, just appreciate the person you're becoming. That's how I chose to learn, how I chose to evolve, uh, the wisdom I had obtained, how I implored that in my life. I would have said that, but I still think the one, <laughs> the one that would have been even more so was, boy, I sure wasn't, Dr. Like I played third base in baseball. I would have told myself to be far more patient with myself. Yeah. Baseball is a a tough sport, and you're always making errors. You're always doing things with it. Yet, you're judged by the errors you don't make. Correct. And and again, oftentimes, you know, one of the the interesting things, and this was a direct relation for me. I'm a fairly verbose person. We've had at least a chance to chat outside of of being on a, a, a mechanical or electronic interface. And I, I'm a smart ass. I always have been. I was class clown. Uh, I grew up in school in, an, in a part of this country at an era in, in this world when we got paddled and I got paddled all the time and I pretty much deserved it most all the time. And when you evolve and when you develop a skill set that is wise, uh, either in accordance with your years or beyond your years, either one, uh, what you don't get is you don't get applause for the things you don't do. You don't get applause for the things you don't say. The only person who knows you could have done that or that could have come out of my mouth. The only person who knows you didn't do that is you. And so you have to. That's why those are two statements for me. That's why I had to finally begin to learn to appreciate being cognitive enough in the moment to realize, wow, this is happening. And three years ago, I probably would have popped off and said, blah, and it might have caused a problem. And this time I didn't. This time I kept my mouth shut and realized this was not the appropriate place and time to make that comment, whatever the comment was, whether it was poignant, whether it was being funny, whatever it may be. And and just in general, every single thing I set out to do in my life to this moment that I'm sitting in this chair right now was to learn a degree of patience. And and it just been something that uh, that I would have told my younger self for sure. Now, one thing I've known about you, Kevin, is how organized you stay. I mean, there's very few people that are as organized in their daily structure every day than you are. How do you stay so organized? I work at it. It's that simple. I mean, I'd love to say that that uh, that it's one of those things. I'm sure some people have it as a natural skill. I'm a Pisces. By by inherent logic, I'm not particularly um, <clears throat> desirous of being that organized. I'm a dreamer. I'm a creative person. But because of how I grew up and because I've been working since I was 11, I had to develop a fairly strong left brain. And I happen to be pretty good at math naturally. But being organized is none of those things. I think part of it came from the fact that I had so much that I wanted to do when I was younger but I didn't really have the funds or the natural support staff uh, or support in my life that I always constantly felt like I was overwhelmed too many balls in the air. Right. 
And so I finally just got involved with Franklin Planner and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, and and I really made that sink in and I put that into my life and I've never let it go. And so you have to work at it. There are just things you have to work at diet. You have to work at you have to work at those things and not just something, you know, I get up every day and I organize my day. I, you know, Franklin planner, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night. And it's like any other routine or any other behavioral uh, mechanism. It is now something I simply do as an habit, like breathing. Yeah. And the other thing is you get up early. I mean, you get up early to make that day happen. You don't stay in bed. You don't have that that triple cappuccino mocha for for a couple hours. You get things going. Oh, I do. I probably should take a again. I said I'm working on patience to the to the moment I'm sitting here. I probably should take a few more minutes in the morning uh, as I'm as I'm aging and yet still playing sports. I probably have to uh, spend a little more time stretching. But yes, and I wasn't. I wasn't always a morning person. Now we get up early for school when we're kids, but the reality is my mother owned a restaurant and I was working in the restaurant business at, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, getting home at midnight and getting up for school. And so by the time I got out of the house, I I had a bad habit of eating full meals at midnight and one o'clock in the morning and, and sleeping until 10 uh, but it was the creation of my organization and having to run a business that slowly changed my daily rhythm. And I, I am absolutely unequivocally now a full on person who gets up. If I'm not up by 715 or 730, something has gone wrong, but I'm typically up by six. Yes. Yeah, well, that's huge. And I think you have to really take responsibility for your life and you have to make it happen. Uh, you know, most of the breaks we do are because we are involved in them, not because they happen to us. And yes, we do get lucky breaks. We do get lucky things happening, but you make your own breaks in life. And I think you found that along the way. Yes. And I'm, I'm still doing it to this day. I, I think one of the things that my organization that was around physically for nearly 24 years, the actors network was basically it was the premise of any multi-level marketing or matrix or anything like that. But my preference for it, because it was circular, it was human. It wasn't as much a, you know, a, a pyramid at all. It was a spider web. And I use that metaphor a lot with regards to the connectivity of your life, your network of humans, which, a, you know, a brilliantly, you know, woven spider web catches exactly what it needs and sometimes more. And I'm very conscious and have been a, for a good 15, 20 years, Dr. Leica, on what I do, what I'm pushing towards trying to accomplish, I look at my spider web. What have I done? And oftentimes, the people that I know right now, as a matter of fact, I just got a letter of intent on a, on a, on a feature film I'm trying to have produced of a life right story that I have. And I know for a fact that one of the major celebrities that just signed a letter of intent to do my project, who I've become friends with, but just started out meeting at one of my charity events, um, I, he wouldn't be willing to sign that if I had not behaved myself in a certain way since the time I first met him. And I met him 14 years ago, 15, 14 or 15 years ago. But it took that long for me to develop with patience and my behavior, uh, a bond and a friendship with somebody who is at a different level than I am in Hollywood. But yet when I send him something and say, hey, if I can make this happen, would you want to work with me on this? And he says, sure, let me sign it. 
And so I try to take those moments in and recognize for myself, I played that one right. And I have more and more of those in the last 15 or 20 years of my life. That's huge. That's huge. Kevin, I have two questions to ask that I always end these shows with. The first one is, how do you have a fantastic life? There's so many answers to that. Number one, I make sh- I, number one, I make sure every day that part of my day includes something that really turns me on. That's number one. And number two, I always sing and laugh. No matter how bad the day is, man, I always find I take a moment in the middle of my day and I make sure I put a song on. And especially in the times we live, it would be in my car or anything else. But I always make take a moment to 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 sing and dance by myself. Uh, and I always find things in my day, even when I'm by myself, which we are so often these days, uh, I always make sure I laugh. But I but I do make sure I do at least one thing in my day, no matter how much of the have to and need to's we have in our lives. I make sure I spend time doing at least one thing that I love every day. Perfect. Now, the flip side of that is what advice do you have for our listeners to have a fantastic life? I encourage people, and I know this comes from my perspective, and this would probably bump up against against some folks, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to clarify it in a certain way. I deeply, deeply, deeply encourage you to find something that is very intentful and purposeful purposeful for you and meaningful to you that you want to do with your life other than simply be a partner or a parent. That does not mean that being a wonderful partner or a wonderful parent isn't a tremendous purpose. That's not what that means. It just means that I believe at the end of the day, we're still individual human beings. And I think you have to have something that's a little bit more than a hobby that is exceptionally purposeful that you want to do with an intent that helps keep you healthy. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kevin, for being here today. Thank you for spending this time with us. You've been wonderful. And I thank you for the moments that you shared and the wisdom that you've shared with us today. Always my pleasure, Dr. Leica. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you like the show, could you please, uh, whatever platform you're on, or uh, could you say you liked it to maybe uh, pass it on to others? Uh, if you're on the radio, Make sure you pass on the show to others so people will get a chance to listen to it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. 